Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. I'm so, so excited for today's guest. We have Nicole Jardim. She's a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period. It's a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. Her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of people around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many more. Rather than treating problems or symptoms, Nicole treats women by addressing the root cause of what's really going on in their bodies and minds. She passionately believes that the fundamentals to healing any hormonal imbalance lie in an approach that addresses the unique physiology of every person. This is essential to reclaiming and maintaining optimal health and vitality at any age. Nicole is the author of Fix Your Period, Six Weeks to Banish Bloating, Conquer Cramps, Manage Moodiness, and Ignite Lasting Hormonal Balance and the co-author of The Happy Balance, a recipe book filled with over 80 hormone balancing recipes. Finally, she's the host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. So be sure to turn into that if you want to learn more about how to fix your period. So welcome, Nicole. So happy to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Oh, I was so excited because like I was saying before we started recording, I, I have followed you for years. I, I forget initially how I found out about you, but I've already learned so much about my period and what that means for my hormonal health. And honestly, really probably a big factor in wanting to give up sugar and flour, really getting over my addiction, knowing that would definitely make that transition into the perimenopause, menopausal years easier. So I'm really just so grateful for all the information that you're putting out there. Cause I just think that for many people, even listening today, their minds are going to be blown because it's just not stuff that you can go to the doctor and hear. So I'm so, so grateful for what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. I know I completely agree with you. I feel like we're unfortunately, so many of us are in the dark about how our bodies work. And this is basic knowledge that I think we should all have. Well, and I think a lot of people's experience might be similar to mine, starting out when I got my period, having pretty heavy cramps and um, being put on birth control for my cramps. I think I was about 15 years old, you know, and didn't know any better. I had no, I had no idea that the birth control pill meant that I wasn't ovulating. I had no idea how important it actually is for your body to ovulate. I mean, I was on that for into my late twenties. So for a very, very significant amount of time. Um, So I'm just so grateful again, that there's more people talking about this and educating so that, uh, you know, women can make better decisions about what they want to do and that, you know, you don't have to just get on the pill. Like it's not the solution for everything, you know? hundred <laughs> percent. I know. And I think that that's a fundamental problem for so many of us is that there's a major lack of informed consent when it comes to being put on these medications or on these birth control devices because they're sort of touted as these cure-alls or fix-alls for a number of female-related issues. It's kind of like, oh, here's the pill for every female ill. <laughs> and yeah. and it really is used that way. And it's really unfortunate because a lot of these issues require a little bit of um, digging. And they definitely, they certainly require a more nuanced approach than just slapping a pill or, you know, an IUD on the problem and calling it a day. 
yeah, not realizing what else that's doing within the body. So, um, well, you're known as the period fixer, which I love. So how did, how did you become the period fixer? I'm so curious how, what it even got you kind of interested in this. Yeah, it was definitely not by design. <laughs> I was not growing up planning to do this work, but here we are. Uh, it was very similar to you. I had really terrible periods as a teenager. I think like from the time I was about 14 or 15, I had really heavy, painful periods. So very similar to your situation. And it actually took me longer to go on the pill because I didn't even think there was really a solution. Mm-hmm. I um, finally saw my mom's gynecologist and you know, my late teens and she was just like, oh, oh yeah, we can totally solve this. And I was like, wait, what? And so she put me on the pill because I also, not only did I have the heavy and painful periods, but I also had really irregular cycles. So they were coming every three or four months and I would get headaches. I had major mood issues, all kinds of things. And then of course I started on the birth control pill and almost immediately all of that went away. And I truly thought I had found my fix, my, my silver bullet. And it wasn't until probably a few years later where I started to have weird symptoms and I didn't know what they were about and nobody could really tell me. And I remember going to multiple doctors about this. And again, I was just not getting any answers at all. Um, and so I started to have, you know, these yeast infections, I'd never had those before. And then I started getting UTIs and then all of this became chronic and I had uh, terrible stomach issues my hair started falling out. Um, you know, I had like mood issues again. I remember like developing melasma all over my face. It was a nightmare. And like I said, I went to so many different doctors and nobody had any answers and nobody said anything about the pill. So it wasn't until I saw an acupuncturist who was the first person to say to me that it actually could be that. And he explained this whole ovulation thing. And I was like, what? I had no idea. So if I can figure this out, anybody can, I promise. Anyway, fast forward and here I am now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing, but it's true. Like, yeah, we aren't really taught a lot about that, you know, and it's something I really think about. I have a six-year-old daughter of how I just want her to learn so much more than I ever knew kind of about my period and about how your whole cycle works. You know, I just don't think it was, it's more something like you're like, oh, you're a woman now you have your period and it's this really awful, terrible thing that you have to deal with the rest, you know, for a while. Yes. <laughs> and where yes. I think if you can actually understand the cycle and how it all works, there's, and you know, what you can do to make it more balanced, it can actually be, you know, you can feel really well, actually. <laughs> you actually can shocker. I know in a female body who knew, who knew I yeah. know. So I do, you know, and it's not something that we're really learning in schools or, and still not. So it's something that I plan to kind of really try to, you know, talk to my, to my daughter about, but well, tell us a little bit, you know, speaking of periods, like what's normal and what's not. Cause I think a lot of us don't even know that. Like you just think, oh yeah, periods are supposed to be terrible. Like if you're not doubled over in pain from cramps or going through like a tampon every like two minutes, like, yeah, then that's just normal. Right. Yeah. I mean, that happens to everybody. Yeah. That was a message I got. I mean, yeah. my mom basically said to me that her periods were even worse than mine. So, you know, this is just kind of our lot in life. And she had no exactly. understanding, no education around what could be possible for her and her cycle. And and I would say that's the case for so many people. Um, you know, for when, when I say normal, I think the first thing to clarify for everyone is that we all kind of have our own normal, we have our own rhythm. So just everyone keep that in mind, in mind, uh, statistics are statistics. And, you know, I think that that's just sort of an average and it doesn't take into account the individual or their personal circumstances or their health history or anything like that. And so when it comes to a period, I feel in terms of the length of a period, I like to see a period somewhere between three and seven days long. The statistical average is about four to five days long. So just keep that in mind for anyone who has longer or shorter periods than that. Usually if a period is over seven days, so eight days or more, oftentimes that's that's a sign that you're bleeding more than you should be. So you have heavy bleeding. Uh, heavy bleeding is basically 80 milliliters of blood loss or more, according to the research. But again, some of us lose a lot more than that. And so it's really important to take that into take other symptoms into consideration with that that one symptom. 
And then if you're bleeding less than two days or, you know, you're just spotting or it's very light, it could be that maybe you're not ovulating. You're, maybe your estrogen isn't building high enough to actually build that uterine lining. Maybe your progesterone isn't getting high enough to further solidify that uterine lining so that you have enough uh, lining to shed in the first place. So that I think is important to understand when it comes to blood loss. In terms of how long a menstrual cycle should be, so that's the entire cycle from day one of your period through the day before your next period, uh, for me personally, I like to see a cycle somewhere between 25 and 35 days long. Uh, I find that that, is, that gives us the, a good amount of time for you to ovulate and then have like a substantial luteal phase. The luteal phase is that second half of your cycle after ovulation and you really want it to be somewhere between 10 and like 14 days or so. That's basically the average. Um, and the reason you want that is because that's indicative of a fertile cycle. And I know everyone's like, but I'm not trying to get pregnant or whatever. Uh, and that's, it's okay. Not, we're not always trying to get pregnant, but our bodies are. And it's important for us to know that, that a fertile cycle is basically equivalent to optimal health, right? When we're having these ovulatory cycles where we could potentially get pregnant, we don't have to, uh, that means that everything is in working order. And when we stop ovulating, that's a sign that there's something going on. And so I think that's a really important point to bring up as well, right? We hear a lot from doctors that you don't need a period and you don't, you know, you don't need to, uh, you can just be on birth control and you can just take that forevermore. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I feel like we need a period in that we need to be ovulating consistently. And so when you have, when you ovulate, it inevitably ends in a period or pregnancy. And if you have a period and you, and you experience symptoms with your period, that's an amazing tool for you to use to figure out what's going on with your body, because it can tell you so much. So just to wrap things up, I would say, you know, looking at your period length, how much you're bleeding, uh, look at your cycle length. I'd say 20, 25 to 35 days is kind of what you're aiming for less than 25 days and more than 35 days. In both cases, you're not ovulating or you're ovulating inconsistently. You might be ovulating too early or too late in your cycle. So these are all parameters that I think we should be looking at. And I think the final thing that we should pay attention to is what are the symptoms in the lead up to our periods? Are we spotting for more than three days? Are we, because that could indicate progesterone is, is dropping uh, prematurely or that it's not high enough to begin with. And that of course comes with a whole lot of implications. I think we all kind of believe that hormones are just this thing, right? These hormones, we have to worry about that in perimenopause or menopause or maybe in pregnancy, but otherwise we are on a need to know basis. And I really think that for many of us, it's so important to understand that these hormones play a role in our overall health. It's not just about spotting before your period. So just keep that in mind with something like progesterone, which is often the cause of that spotting. Um, I'd say the other thing too is sort of the premenstrual emotional symptoms. We're all going to experience symptoms before our period. There's no doubt about that. Hormones are dictating a lot of what's going on with you mentally and emotionally. But if your symptoms are completely disruptive of your life, that to me is a sign that something has gone awry and it, it warrants investigation. So I'd say those are a few of the parameters that we should No, that's for. great. And I'm curious, like, if you can talk to us more about, because this is something I didn't realize, because, you know, I think when you're given the pill, and I know a lot of friends, I always still wanted to have my period. I thought it was weird to skip yeah. that week. Like, I always wanted to still have my period, but I had a lot of friends that are like, I just don't want to deal with it, but this is a solution. But I never realized that it didn't matter because I still wasn't ovulating. So why is ovulation so important? Like, talk to us a little bit about that. It's so important. And even I think if we're not trying to get pregnant, I should. Even if we're not, right? right? Thank you for the clarification. Even yeah. if we're not trying to get pregnant, everyone who's listening. Yeah. And the reason it is so critical is because it really is a vital function of the female body. And, you know, it's very similar to what happens with men in the sense that they're producing 
sperm, all right, and that, you know, they're producing testosterone, and we would never want to turn that whole process off, right, because that testosterone is so critical to their overall health. And so it's the same with ovulation. Unfortunately, we live in a somewhat patriarchal, misogynistic society that has determined that we should turn off ovulation as a solution for not only birth control, but also a whole long list of female-related issues, right? So irregular cycles, take the pill. If you have heavy bleeding, take the pill or get an IUD. If you have no period, take the pill. And it's like this information is wrongly uh, disseminated to women in that they're under the impression that, like you said, well, you're having a period, but you're actually not really having a period. You're just having a hormonal or hormone withdrawal bleed, right? So you're taking those those sugar pills and uh, you're no longer taking the progestin pill that would have kept your uterine lining in place. And now when the progestin is gone from your system, your your lining sheds and you get your quote unquote period. Wow, so even that I, to me is fascinating. I hope people are listening because I'm like, oh, I didn't so. even realize that's how it worked. Yeah, that's how it works. That's, yeah, that's why that's you are getting a period. You're or yes. you're bleeding. Yeah, that's how you're bleeding. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And the thing is, is because, and so for many of us, right, we're on these low dose pills. So that estradiol or the ethanol estradiol, so that's a the synthetic estrogen. So that's what you take in the first half of the cycle. And again, it it's kind of meant to mimic our own cycles, right? It's giving you estrogen and then it's giving you progesterone. So it makes sense what they did there. Uh, the problem though, is that a lot of us are on these low dose pills. And so we don't even really build a lining so much, right? Like the body's not really getting the signals because ovulation isn't happening. So it's not telling your brain to uh, tell your ovaries to produce more estrogen. And so if we were producing estrogen in this buildup, as we would if we were ovulating, the lining would grow and then progesterone would come in after ovulation and it would further, you know, build out, like it thickens it essentially, preparing it for a potential pregnancy, right? Because that's what our bodies are trying to do. And and then when, you know, and then when the progesterone drops, because what happens, and it's amazing, right? So basically our ovary has these little follicles the brain sends follicle stimulating hormone, tells the ovary to get those little follicles all ready so that one can progress to ovulation. The one that progresses to ovulation, uh, it releases the egg, the egg goes into the fallopian tube, it waits for a little sperm cell to come and fertilize it. So it waits about 24 hours or so, 12 to 24 hours, and then it you know, disintegrates essentially. And so what happens is that little follicle has turned into something called a corpus luteum. And so this is like a little tiny endocrine gland that's pumping out this progesterone and it's temporary. And so what happens is if pregnancy does not happen, then it gets the signal. It's like, oh, no pregnancy this month. And so it starts to disintegrate like 12 to 14 days post ovulation, which is why your luteal phase can only be a certain amount of time. So it is amazing. Our bodies are incredible. I mean, we make this endocrine gland in under 24 hours and then it disintegrates in like 24 hours and then you get your period. So yeah, it's, we're, we're amazing. Um, so I just want to say that with that, that ovulation is so critical to our overall health because we are producing these large amounts of estradiol, the most potent estrogen in our cycling years, and progesterone. And these hormones play a role in our brain health, in our cognitive function. They play a role in our bone development. There's research that shows that girls who are put on the birth control pill in their teen years don't ever reach peak bone density because of bone growth that happens during our teenage years and our early 20s, which is really unfortunate. And and also, they also play a role in our heart health, cardiovascular, um, you know, our our skin, like progesterone is really great for our skin as well. So there's just so much that these hormones do. And when we don't have them for long periods of time while being on the pill or suppressing ovulation in some other way, uh, we're, you know, we're kind of operating at a bit of a deficit. And this isn't to scare anyone, but I really want people to understand the you know the mechanism by which these these birth control uh, options work and have this information so they can make an informed choice yeah just to have that information like i've never even heard that about the bones i'm like great my poor bones <laughs> you know i, know, I was on no but it's okay but I it's was just too. something yeah it's just something to think about yeah all of these yeah. things and isn't progesterone too important it's more of that like kind of feel good happier hormone as well 
It is. It is. It plays a huge role in brain function and in in our moods and stabilizing our moods. And in fact, progesterone is used as a treatment option for traumatic brain injury. So I mean, that's pretty amazing to me. Um, And it is right. It's like the soother mama hormone that comes in (laughs) the second half of your cycle and basically is supposed to keep you calm. And so many of us are so deficient in progesterone for multiple reasons. A lot of it is that either lack of ovulation or irregular ovulation. So we just don't make enough of it and there we run into problems. I think the other amazing thing about progesterone too is that uh, it's kind of like the truth serum hormone because in that second half of our cycle, we really tend to see things a little bit differently. Estrogen and serotonin work really well together and we're very like happy-go-lucky in that first half of our cycle when estrogen is building. And you know, I feel like we see the world through rose-tinted glasses and then progest- estrogen drops a little bit, progesterone takes over and it's like, wait a second, what is happening in our life right now? Like this isn't working, this isn't working, let's try and change things up. So it really does, It sort of makes you take stock of your life a little bit in the second half. And this is why a lot of people, things come up in the second half. I've had women say to me, I really just want a divorce in the second half of my cycle. What is going on? (laughs) Like, there's probably some things you might need to work out with your husband or your partner or whatever. So just keep in mind that it's likely not you. It's your hormones. And there's a reason that that's happening. And it's good to pay attention. They're, They're asking you to look at what's going on in your life. Yeah. So I always feel bummed thinking about all those years as on the pill and like all that progesterone I was missing out on, you know, and all those benefits that there are and how important these hormones are to our overall health and well-being. You know, it's just something again, that we just aren't informed about. So it's why I want to be sharing this information because when I found that out, I just thought, oh, all those years. And especially now that I know I'm in perimenopause, I'm really thinking about hormones so differently now and really wanting all that progesterone back. Me too. (laughs) I know. And the estrogen, because I I tend to have lower estrogen for the most part. I kind of always have since coming off the pill, which I think is kind of like a side effect of that. Um, But yeah, my estrogen tends to be on the lower side too. So I'm just like, give it all to me. I'll take whatever you got, little ovaries. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Whatever you got left, keep going. Keep going. So what is it about? Because I saw a really funny for anyone that doesn't follow you on Instagram, we're going to link it because I think your Instagram is hilarious. Like it makes me <laughs> laugh out loud, like snort out loud half the time. And you had this really funny graphic. And it's so true. Um, I think it was from like Little Miss Sunshine, but it was like first like the supermodel picture, like how you feel like, right? I think it was while you're ovulating, maybe like where you felt. And then it was like, Every other day though, you felt like frumpy and basically was like, it was like supermodel for a day, frumpy for the rest of the time. And I really have noticed that. So talk to us a little bit about that because I think it's hilarious. Oh, it's so true. I know it's so funny how many people totally resonated with that. You know, I think it's what I was saying before. So if you think of that little follicle in your ovary or the follicles on your ovary, they're the ones that are producing estradiol. And estrogen, like I was saying, right, is this happy-go-lucky hormone. And it really, it does wonders for your skin. It makes your hair look great. Your It works with serotonin to help your mood. So real, and it makes you feel more confident and just like want to put yourself out there. And so as it's building, as those follicles are growing on your ovary, right? So they're producing estrogen. They're sending a signal back to your brain. And at some point, you know, the estrogen will, will peak. And so that's right before ovulation. So that week before ovulation, we're all feeling like Kendall Jenner (laughs) and you know we're really rocking it and I and then there's the combination of that and testosterone which further improves not only your mood but your libido you just feel really confident you feel like you can I'm actually I was gonna say I'm in my follicular phase I feel like I can say all the things and I can get it all out clearly and you know so you really do feel though that you can take on the world and so it's very much about that what's amazing too and I know we talked about this before we started, but estrogen or estradiol has a positive effect on insulin sensitivity. And so as it's as it's building, uh, you will find that you're more insulin sensitive, meaning that you don't need a lot of carbohydrates to feel great, like to pick you up like you may need in the second half of your cycle. And so when you're more insulin sensitive, uh, you just, you not only feel leaner, you just feel like you can, like I was saying, you can take on the world. Um, and so that's something too to think about. So you 
definitely notice like more muscle definition in the first half of your cycle and testosterone will play a role in that as well because it, it helps to build muscles. So there's, you know, there's a lot going on in that first half of, you know, sort of a lot of hormonal activity that makes you feel the way you feel. And like I said, you know, we, we're, our bodies are cyclical, right? We do not work, our bodies do not work like male bodies work at all. Unfortunately, the world has sort of been designed for male bodies <laughs> the way they work. And so we really have to start to think about, you know, when do we feel the strongest? Like when do we feel mentally and emotionally prepared for certain things? And we can really start to design our lives around that, around our hormonal fluctuations. Whereas in the second half of our cycle, we are a little bit more introverted. We aren't as out in the world. We want to sort of come home to ourselves. We want to nest. We want to organize our home office. We want to do those kinds of things. And I think that we can structure our lives in a way that you can take advantage of those hormonal fluctuations throughout your cycle. That's so amazing. If we could all just live that way, you know, like, and even in that second half, like you're talking about, like nutrition, just knowing, um, I think I, I listened to you on a, on a perimenopause menopause summit. That was so good with Dr. Marisa and another speaker I was listening to kind of in the same way was talking about how you could actually, she does like a different workout depending what cycle she's in. She eats differently depending what part of her cycle she's in. And I'm like, this is so brilliant. Like, and it explained so much of why, like, you know, she said, you know, a good time, maybe if you wanted to think about like cutting down on carbs or starting some kind of new nutritional plan or even intermittent fasting, it's better to experiment in that like week one or week two, probably not good to do, you know, in the second part. And I just thought that was so interesting because again, it's just information that's not really readily available, but would help so many women that, you know, might think, oh, I just don't have the willpower or whatever, but it could have just been, they, they started it on a day that wasn't, you know, going to give them their best shot. So I guess talk to us a little bit more about that. You, You started talking a little bit about how, you know, we, we don't need as much, the, how the estradiol has that positive effect on insulin, but yeah, maybe talk a little bit about more about that with the glucose and, totally. you know, what that means with our cycles. So, you know, yeah. we can kind of understand that a little bit better of what's going on. Cause I know for me, even who hasn't had sugar and flour in four years, so I've also got the perimenopausal thing going on. So I am having a little more PMS than I used to, but I do have food cravings that I'm like, where, you know, right before my period. And I'm just like, yeah, this is just so fascinating to me because I really haven't had this in so long. It's so interesting, right? I know. So I know, I agree. I feel like perimenopause again is a whole other ball game. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it really is. So as I was saying, you know, we have this higher estrogen, it's increasing in the follicular phase and it correlates with this increased insulin sensitivity. So what that means is insulin works better and we might need less of it to control our blood sugar in the first half of our cycle. And it's interesting because around ovulation, insulin sensitivity starts to decrease. And that's really, I think, due to the estrogen progesterone switchover. Uh, estrogen, you know, drops post ovulation, progesterone rises, and then insulin is higher in the luteal phase. So that's like one thing that I've found in the research. So the insulin is, tends to be on the higher side, uh, which, you know, could be part of the cravings. And then higher progesterone appears to affect insulin sensitivity negatively, which means that we are more prone to blood sugar swings. Like, like the hyperglycemia to the hypoglycemia and more sensitive to drops in blood sugar in the second half of our cycle. So it's really interesting. Uh, And it's funny because we, of course, tend to crave carbohydrates and sugar a lot more in the second half of our cycle. So it might explain partially why we're sort of ambushed by these intense cravings and, um, you know, why these foods also have a more pronounced effect on our physical and emotional health during this time, right? So if we have this insulin or reduced insulin sensitivity, we just tend to have these heightened responses to foods, right? So if we ate if you eat sugar in the first half of your cycle, like in approaching to ovulation versus in the second half, you should really pay attention to the, to the symptoms and how they affect you or how it affects you. I find it really fascinating. And even if you were to track your blood sugar on like a continuous glucose monitor, for instance, which, you know, a lot of people tend to do these days to kind of see what's going on with their blood sugar and insulin. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because you can definitely see the shifts in the first half versus the second half of the cycle. 
which I know you've done by experience. Our last week episode was with NutriSense and Molly talked to us all about that. And I know you've done that. And I only did it for two weeks. Then I'm like, oh, I really need to do a full month because I am so curious to compare my exact meal, you know, in the beginning of my cycle versus toward the ends and see how it, how it changes. I, you know, I don't know if everyone else thinks, I just think it's so interesting, like amazing how much, what, what our bodies do. I agree so, completely. I know you experienced that firsthand with your own experimentation, right? With the CGM. I did. Yes, I did. And it was really fascinating to me. And like I said, I, I really did see differences between the two phases of the cycle. And also it's just helpful for me at least to have that kind of data to know what's working for me food wise versus what isn't. Cause I definitely got a few surprises in terms of the food that worked and didn't work. Yeah. Oh, that's why I think it's everyone should do that. You know, I love that. It's not just if you have diabetes, I mean, this is really great information, information personalized to our own bodies for, for anybody, which is so cool. So what would advice you do have? Cause I think people listening again are probably like, wow, okay. There really is a reason that I'm like laying down on the floor in fetal position, eating a bag of chips, you know, like right before my period. Is there any, um, tips that you have as far as nutrition wise to really help with that, you know, maybe, especially in that second part of the cycle to maybe combat some of those cravings. I mean, a little bit more. Oh gosh. So, so many, I mean, I would say that one of the easier places for people to start with is food. Um, But before I get into that, I just want to say to everyone that I really think that you should be tracking your cycle just so you're aware of what's going on with your cycle, right? Because you can make all of these kinds of changes, but if you don't even know when you're ovulating or if you're ovulating, that's, you know, that's a huge problem. Like you really want to make sure you are, Uh, because if you're not ovulating, like I said, there is something going on that is hijacking your brain's conversation with your ovaries. And you really want to look into why that might be. I'm so so glad you said that because, (laughs) yeah, I meant to bring that up because I do track mine and there's so many great apps now, free apps, ways to track it. And for me, it's still like, I'm delighted that I get a period pretty much every 27, 28 days because I had PCOS where my cycles were 50, 60, 70 days. I never actually don't think I was actually ovulating. So like now I am like (laughs) that person. I'm like, oh my gosh, it came again on time. Like, this is amazing. And as you track your symptoms too, like sometimes I, I know I get a little more anxious right before my period. So it's uh-huh. just, again, good information to have. It's like, okay, this is all kind of normal. Whereas if you're not tracking, you can just probably feel like you're all over the place, but you can really see patterns um, and then begin to address some of those things if you are tracking and have that information. So yeah, I think everyone should be tracking. And again, I think we just think of only if you're trying to get pregnant yeah. or even not pregnant, it, you know, but it, it really is important, I think, for everyone to have that information for themselves. I could not agree more with you. I think that when you have that information, it's so incredibly empowering. It puts you in the driver's seat of your health. You're no longer looking to your doctor to give you answers about what the hell is going on with your cycle because you have absolutely no idea. I mean, I was that person who would lie on the, you know, the doctor intake form about when my last period was and when the next one was coming because I had zero idea. So like I said, if I can do this, anybody can do this. And so, you know, this is like you said, just using an app. Um, But I also think that we should go a little further in many cases, especially if we have problems. So looking at your cervical fluid, because that changes quite dramatically throughout your cycle, depending on when estrogen is high and then when progesterone is high. So you will see like that wetter, uh, stretchier, more wet quality consistency in that first half of your cycle leading up to ovulation. And then that changes quite dramatically after ovulation occurs. So you want to look at that, check your underwear. You want to be looking at uh, your basal temperature. So that's just taking your temperature first thing upon awakening. And I know probably people are probably like rolling their eyes at me, but I swear this will tell you if you're ovulating and it's one of the best ways to track your cycle to really understand what's going on with you. So with all of that said, I you know, I would say like, that's your first step to, again, like getting to know what's going on with you. And then the second thing is, you know, we were talking about food a little while ago, and I think it's a great place to start. I feel like 
breakfast for a lot of us who because I think we've gotten the message that we should not be eating as much as we're eating there's a lot of language around that kind of thing or messaging around that kind of thing and so I find that if we start the day with breakfast and we have a higher protein breakfast so you're looking at like 20 to 25 grams of protein in a breakfast um, that will really help stabilize your blood sugar as you well know I mean I think that that's one of the biggest things and we have to keep in mind that blood sugar is so important to our overall menstrual cycle. Our ovaries have insulin receptors on them and they can definitely be hijacked by high blood sugar and high insulin because of course high blood sugar is, or when you're in a high blood sugar state on a perpetual basis, it's like an inflammatory, you're in an inflammatory state. And so inflammation is not great for our ovaries. They do not like that. They're very sensitive tissue and they're full of mitochondria. They're these little mitochondria powerhouses. So we want to be feeding our ovaries and making sure they're getting what they want and need so that they can ovulate because that's a very energy intensive exercise every single month, right? So if we're not like if we're undernourished or we're not eating enough calories or we're not eating enough macronutrients or or micronutrients like the minerals and the vitamins, we're going to run into problems with our ovaries. So I say start with breakfast so you can at least stabilize your blood sugar throughout the morning and early afternoon. And, um, you know, and I'm a big fan of, um, I mean, I don't know how controversial this is, but for me personally, I'm a big fan of including animal protein in your diet. I feel like it's highly bioavailable, uh, a highly bioavailable source of protein. So I, I really believe that we should be doing that, um, like I said, in breakfast and then in lunch and dinner too, so that we keep our blood sugar stable. Uh, so that's like one of my first steps. I would say the other thing that we really want to consider too is potentially removing like those industrial seed oils. So when I say industrial seed oil, I'm talking about things like sunflower oil and canola oil and safflower and peanut and all of these oils that are basically in every packaged food, which really sucks. I know, I'm sorry. But it is amazing to me how many women said to me when the pandemic first started, I can't even believe I'm not saying last year, it's two years ago, but it's been a long time. So anyways, what they said to me was when they stopped eating out and they were just cooking at home for the first month or two, their period pain disappeared. And I was like, wait, what? And so then, you know, we put two and two together and realized it's because all the restaurants, they cook with these oils and they're, you know, they're rancid. They are so incredibly highly processed. They're super high in omega-6 fatty acids, which, you know, can be, they're good in, in some senses, like, you know, nature doesn't make bad things. Uh, but I think that with these, these oils, particularly, like I said, they're so processed, they, you know, they lead to this crazy unchecked amount of inflammation. And that really is the root cause of, uh, you know, ovulation pain and menstrual cramps and migraines that are cyclical, particularly. And so if we reduce this, this, the causes of the inflammation, we will we'll see that a lot of our period related issues start to disappear. Yeah, and so much of that, like you said, is in packaged foods and, yeah. but also at the restaurants, you know? And I think a lot of people found that as they stopped, you know, with the pandemic where they were eating home more. I bet a lot of people, yeah, were noticing some shifts there just because, yeah, when they were cooking their own meals and you can control what's going in there. So, yes, for yeah. Sure. I would say the other thing that I've had really great success with is, um, you know, a lot of people ask about CBD. I feel like that mm -hmm. can be really helpful for stabilizing our moods, especially premenstrually. I probably get one email a week from a CBD company that's focused on the menstrual cycle now. So it's really become very popular. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I recommend looking into that as, you know, sort of an adjunct to changing your diet uh, as well. Um, and I would suggest too that, you know, people look into doing castor oil packs. And so essentially what that is, is you're just putting castor oil on your lower abdomen and uh, you're putting like a hot water bottle or a heating pad over that. Obviously you cover the castor oil with like an old t-shirt or, you know, a piece of plastic or some piece of cloth or something like that. You can buy castor oil packs online and the whole kit. And so what that does is, um, you know, castor oil has been used medicinally for a really long time, but it really helps with breaking up scar tissue. It really helps with liver detoxification. You can place it over your liver as well. And that has been really beneficial for period pain. It really helps with uh, you know, the liver detoxification. Like I said, you really need your liver to be working well in order to break down and uh, you know remove 
all of these hormones that are then that are used by your body and then they're no longer needed and you want to be making sure that your your liver works and then also your digestion is working well too because that goes into your bowels and then you basically flush it down the toilet so you want to make sure that the whole digestive function is working well too just because of that process of hormone elimination mm, yeah just that kind of optimal just optimizing all aspects of your health you know and it just even <laughs> looking back to I never even thought about well I know how important blood balance blood sugar is you know we had a podcast episode all about really how that affects everything but I never even thought even after that about the ovaries how much you know that it's important to so every single body part really is that that um, balanced blood sugar so yes yeah Absolutely. that's just fascinating to me. Um, well, what other tips maybe do you have? So that those were really, really good. And I never thought about CBD oil either for, um, you know, for the period. So there is so many different things. What else do you find is something, you know, as people are trying to, you know, maybe are starting to pay attention and seeing these patterns, what area do you usually kind of recommend next? And I'm sure it's one of those things that doesn't, you know, it's baby steps. It can be overwhelming when you're like, oh my gosh, I got to do all these things. You know, there's different, there's different things, but maybe someone's listening and like, yeah, I'm already pretty good on the food. You know, what else can I do to, you know, make my cycles even better? Yeah. You know, I would say there's a few things. I feel like if you already feel like you're doing good on your food and things there's still a problem then something's up for sure Mm -hmm. and so maybe that diet isn't working for you and i think it's important for us to sort of check in on diet particularly just because you know we can become attached to a certain diet and what we're eating and there's a lot of identity associated with diet so it's certainly something to think about as well especially as it relates to the whole blood sugar thing like we've been talking about because you know there was a study that i found that um Basically, I don't know how many people they did it on, but they found that about 80% of non-diabetics experience high glucose spikes, so over 140, um, Mm -hmm. you know, which is considered problematic for the body, right? So this is like 80% of people who are not even diabetic, and this is just consuming common foods. So it's important for us to think about that for sure. Um, But also like the stress component. I feel like we have vastly overlooked stress and sleep in our society, mostly because I think, you know, in our teens and 20s, we're really not taught how to deal with those in a, you know, in a productive or healthy or sustainable way, particularly sleep. I think that, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you will over time become more and more insulin resistant and you will crave more and more high carbohydrate, high sugar foods. And of course, that is a a horrible cycle to be stuck in because then of course those foods are going to cause problems for your blood sugar and then you go around and around and then you end up with problems related to your menstrual cycle and your fertility as well. And so I feel like the sleep thing is really huge for people. And even if it's like basic things, right? Like even if you're going to bed like 10 minutes earlier than you would normally go to bed. So you start to like work backwards or, uh, you know, you start to think about ways to, um, you know, take care of yourself in the nighttime before bed. So having some kind of sleep routine, I, you know, I really love red light therapy. I found that to be tremendously helpful. Uh, you could definitely get like a red light therapy, like a little box and, um, can use that it really helps you to go to sleep at night Um, it's also great in the morning for getting that you know like the the full light spectrum into your eyes so i'm always like if you can look outside and see sunshine in the morning that's really great too to set your cortisol awakening response so that your cortisol starts to function optimally because that again is all so connected to your menstrual cycle if we have like chronically high levels of cortisol what it does is kind of hijacks your hypothalamus and your pituitary and actually down regulates their function so you end up not producing the hormones that you need from your hypothalamus to then signal your pituitary to then talk to your ovaries so there's you know there's all of it is connected so i think that's the first thing to know and the reason it's all connected is because it's a protection mechanism right our bodies have evolved over millions of years and when we were you know a thousand years ago we needed to protect ourselves and so when there was a dangerous situation happening we would go into that fight or flight moment and we would take care of whatever it is we needed to take care of whether it was running away or fighting or whatever and obviously today 
our bodies have not evolved in that way, right? They don't know the difference between like being stuck in traffic or running away from a, a dangerous predator. And so as a result, uh, female bodies, we are keenly attuned to stress. Not surprising because we're we're not as strong as, as men. We can't run away or fight as, as easily. And so we are attuned to that danger. And what happens is, you know, when your body senses like a chronic stress situation, it really will shut down the hypothal hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis and it will cause a situation where you don't ovulate anymore or you ovulate very sporadically. And as a result, a lot of women think that their bodies are broken and they're not ovulating consistently. So they're, you know, they can't have a baby or all of these different things that go through our heads. But ultimately what it is, is our bodies are just protecting us from what they deem to be a threatening situation. So I would say if there was one thing you could work on, it's how to mitigate the stress in your life. And there's, you know, a million things that we can do there as we know, and you just choose like one or two things that, you feel will be helpful for you and build on that. I mean, I think that that's what it is, right? At the end of the day, it's like we we do we do what we can. And I think that everyone should try that. Yeah. And then don't stress about <laughs> lowering your stress because then it just yeah. makes it, you know, when you try to be like, oh, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. It's like, yeah, find one or two things that work for you. There's so many different available things out there. Um, yeah. Try one or two and just be consistent. I think that's the other thing is the consistency piece that you can start feeling that relief. Um, the other thing that I noticed for me, and I don't know if this is true or not, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've kind of made a link that during ovulation, if I can rest a little, like what I usually know I am from my cervical fluid, probably too much information for people. But again, I'm always like, so I'm such a geek. I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. I wish I was trying to have kids. Cause it's beautiful. Like I'm, you know, I'm just so proud of my body, I guess, but I noticed if I can rest a little bit then, um, cause I, it's hard for me to slow down and not just go, you know, full speed, which I think it's like for a lot of women. But if I, I notice if I, I get a little more rest, it seems like my period's a little gent more gentle. I just, I don't know if there is really any link there, but it's interesting. Um, and I think so many of us try to like push through when they're feeling, but I've really been like, no, your body needs rest, especially around my period. Like it's okay to take a day and just really, you know, rest. And that's what my body needs. It doesn't need a hard workout. It doesn't need, you know, to do, it just needs some extra sleep or a bath or whatever it is, or like lay on the couch and read a book or watch TV. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And I think that that's one of the biggest problems that so many women face, right? Is that we're told we have to push through or we should push through mm -hmm. or in order to be productive, or a successful member of society, this is what we have to do. And that is very much dictated by male biology and, you know, and, and how our, and again, how our world is designed around us. And so if we start to really pay attention to what our bodies are asking for, they're likely not asking for that 5am workout that you're pushing yourself to go do. And instead they probably want more sleep. And so I really encourage women to do exactly what you're describing and to, to really acknowledge where they are in their cycle and to pay attention to how the signals from their body. Are they exhausted? Do they feel like they need more sleep? Do they need to go do a meditation? Do they need to go to bed earlier, sleep a little bit later? Do they need to do a different type of exercise? We were talking about that. I didn't get to go into mm -hmm. all of that. Um, mm -hmm. I would say Dr. Stacy Sims is an incredible expert on all things exercise and menstrual cycle related. Uh, and so I would say that, yes, like you definitely should alter, uh, you know, change up how you exercise throughout your cycle, depending on where you are in your cycle. That's like a whole other podcast episode, I feel like. I know. And uh, it's so amazing. Right. That's so fascinating to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I love what you said. I, I fundamentally believe that we really should be listening to our body signals and, you know, because ultimately when you're in that second half of your cycle, if you've, if you've really, you know, if you're taking care of yourself, like, and you've, you know, really acknowledged that you're tired or that you need more rest or you need to take care of yourself and incorporate more self-care practices, you'll find that your period is better. You will find that you have less pain. You'll find that you are less fatigued. You'll find that you might have less you know, you might even not bleed as heavily. You know what I mean? Like there's lots of things that can shift when you start to acknowledge what your body actually needs throughout your cycle. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so huge. And just that whole idea of 
of having the information so that you can live more according to your cycle. Like when you are feeling more energized in that part, like do more things then. But when your body's ready to slow, that's the time that you kind of slow down knowing you're going to get energized again. I mean, that's what I've tried to start doing now is just paying attention to where I am. Cause I'm like, it's almost just work. It's like, you have to work extra hard when you're not feeling it. I'd rather just put that energy when it's there instead of trying to force it, you know, when it, when it's not. So yes. yeah. Agreed. Well, Agreed. I can't believe that we're out of time. I feel like we could, I would love to have you actually back on to, cause I think this is a good foundation that we had to talk about, but then I'm really like, as we've kind of been hinting on is the perimenopause stuff. I'd love yes. to kind of go more into that because again, I just think there's so much information that we aren't being told, even going to like our regular medical doctor. I mean, not always, but for me, I know that's, that's been a struggle. Um, like when I am trying to help myself, there's just not a lot of information out there. So maybe we could do a follow-up sometime talking a little bit more. Cause I think that's a whole other ball game. Um, it totally is. Absolutely. It, Tell us how we can get in touch with you and, you know, all that good stuff, which I'll definitely link, you know, your website and yeah. Yeah. So you can find me on my website. It's NicoleJardim.com. And I'm also on Instagram it's at Nicole M. Jardim. I also have the podcast, like you mentioned, that's, that's the period party. Um, I would say that, you know, my, my website is a good place to find information if that's what you're looking for. For I've got a blog with a ton of different articles. I've also got programs. So there's lots of options for people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, wanted to talk about, yeah, your program. So definitely go to website if you want to learn more and listen, your, your podcast is so, so good. So if this is something that you kind of, other people are listening and want to hear more of, yeah, please go there. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today though, maybe that we didn't get to, or just any like last words of wisdom for for us today yeah you know i would just i would just say that for everyone or anyone who is struggling with their cycle and you feel defeated or you feel hopeless like there is hope there is information there are answers it's just a matter of not giving up and continuing to really put yourself first and advocate for yourself even if you know you're seeing doctor after doctor like there i trust me when i say there is information out there that can help you um and you know one of the best places actually to start is my book it's i put like a ton of great information in there to really help you understand your cycle. Even if that's like the biggest concern right now is that you just don't even know what's going on with your cycle and you feel hopeless around that. Start there. I mean, one of my chapters is dedicated entirely to helping you understand what's normal, what's not. And I think once you have that information, then you can take the next right step. Yeah. I love that. And just understanding at what's normal and what's not that you really shouldn't be suffering, you know, that there is a lot of help out there. So Thank you. I think that's going to give a lot of people hope today. So <laughs> thank you again so much for being with us today. Thanks, Ayo. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar.